Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Hey, good morning. Happy Monday. Not only is it happy Monday, but it's uh, tomorrow's tax day. Well, thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about that, Jamie? Uh, Already done. (laughs) Good for you. And spent. Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, um, I think you're probably in the majority, but I, I would fall into the minority category. I so. would tell you this, though. Uh, I felt like we were filing late because we didn't file until mid-March. Oh. Uh, and we got our refund back within a couple of days. Yeah. That's At good. Least the federal refund. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's good news for you and not for everybody. And good morning, everyone. It is tax day tomorrow. We're going to start with the economy. A couple of interesting perspectives. Uh, where are the cheapest places in the country to live cities, where are the most expensive places to live, where does it take $300,000 to live as if you make $100,000 because of what it costs to live in those areas, all really good things and comparisons. Um, it is incredible where you can see a lot of this. New York is not the worst offender, which is surprising, but number one, the top priciest cities, first one is Honolulu, second one is New York. But then it's uh, a bunch in California, San Francisco, Oakland, L.A., Long Beach. Then it goes to Washington, D.C., then back to San Diego. And so we're seeing a lot of this, how expensive it is to live in places. In Hawaii, it was found to be one of the most expensive cities to leave. Uh, you feeling as though you have $100,000 to spend after taxes. It takes $312,000 in income for that to happen. I say this about tax day because I think everyone feels as if they should pay their taxes. Here's a headline from the USA Today in an opinion piece. Small businesses have enough to worry about with tax day. Overzealous IRS shouldn't be one of them. We understand that there is going to be a huge increase in the number of IRS employees. And again, there's a difference between people that cheat and then people that shouldn't have to be afraid. And that's one of the things our tax code is so convoluted and difficult. And it takes experts. And unless you have the money to pay those experts, you can make mistakes that cost you a lot of money. I've been a victim of that at at a time. Um, and it is it, there's a difference between people that want to do the right thing and people that want to do the wrong thing. But now we are seeing on top of everything else that's costing individuals and small businesses more, taxes cost a lot more. Everybody is hearing that because of the COVID relief and other things that happen that are drying up, your returns, your tax returns or refunds, I should say, will be smaller or in many cases will be smaller. Um, so here's a story. Here's what it takes to be middle class. Uh, $82,000 in a household income in San Francisco, 74000 in Seattle, sixty in Washington, D.C., but only $24,000 in Cleveland, Ohio. <clears throat> this is from uh, uh, people at Smart Asset, the consumer finance site. It adopts the Pew Research Center's definition of middle class, Americans whose income range from two-thirds to two times the median household income. America's middle class has many different faces, according to the story. The reason why I... I bring this up is there are many people that strive to be considered middle class. What I mean by that is they want financial security. They want to be able to drive a newer car, maybe not a new one. They'd like to be a two-car household if it's two parents and you know if it's a couple in the home. 
Um, they would like to be able to set money aside for retirement. They would like to have an emergency fund in case bad things happen. A credit card in case of emergencies. Not, you know, own a home, something modest, <clears throat> the American dream. And it's becoming less and less likely. Now, we're watching the federal government race up deficits even more and more and more. And this idea that we are going to tax wealthy people to pay for all of these things is a joke. It hasn't happened yet, and I don't know why the American people continue to fall for it. If you look at what Arizona has done, we are not a zero-income tax state, but we have moved very close to that. When you look at the places in this country – that are the least expensive to live. Um, it's uh, Many of those places are in Texas and in Florida. And I think that that is something that is fascinating to look at. As a matter of fact, let me look at that list real quick. Let me get to the list of least expensive places to live. Um, Memphis, Tennessee, El Paso, Texas, Oklahoma City, Corpus Christi, Lubbock, Houston, San Antonio, Fort Worth, Arlington, Texas. Um, and in uh, St. Louis rounds out the top 10. What is it, if you look at the differences, and this is where I think most people, and we should look at it, I, I always look at this as us against them because everything in the world is, but it shouldn't be wealthy versus unwealthy uh, or working class or whatever you want to call it. It should be all of us with a healthy suspicion of what our government does with our money, both locally, at the state level, and at the federal level. And as citizens, we have chosen to go down this road or allow this road to be traveled. And we've got to start reining it in. I just think that that is a nonpartisan statement. Although, if you ask around, it is Republican Democrat. But we continue to hear from from President Biden and people in his party that taxing the rich is the way to financial security for the poor. And you've been hearing this. You know, my In my lifetime, when I really started paying attention, it goes back to the Carter administration and Ronald Reagan right after that. I've been hearing that all of my life. I was, I think, nine years old when Carter uh, was elected in 1976. And so I was nine years old when he was elected. So I really, you know, a nine-year-old's perspective is very, very weak as far as politics goes. But as you grow older and you get a little bit older, you hear from that. So when you go look at Ronald Reagan being done um, in January of 1989, um, and you look at where the the country had come from them, and then you look at where we were when we started with that administration, and, and you know, not one political party is better than the other at this, because the way it is right now, the Republican Party spends as much money as the Democratic Party. But what I never understood is why we allow ourselves to be duped into this idea that it's us against You know, you and I against each other instead of us all having a healthy suspicion of what the government does. Um, It is it is a fantasy that the government is going to make your life better. As a matter of fact, I think that I would say to you that I believe that our founding fathers wanted to keep government out of your lives as much as humanly possible, including out of your pocket. And when this happens, and all of us believe we should pay to live in this great country, but we punish wealth, we punish success, we demonize successful people. And what we're doing now, if you look, is we are still taxing the American people as a whole more money than ever before. The United States Treasury is collecting so much money, but that is only part of it. What do we pay in state taxes? What do we pay in income taxes and fees? If you were to factor all of that in, I think, for one year, and I'm too I'm, I'm too undisciplined to do it. Add up what you pay in sales taxes when you buy items. Keep receipts for 
for a month and then multiply it times 12, you know, um, what you pay in taxes and sales taxes, what you pay in an excise tax or a fee or a license fee or to register your vehicle, all of these, these dollars that go to the government, how much of your actual income do you pay? Forget the wealthy income taxpayers. That's one thing. But the average person, what they are paying to keep this government moving and this machine moving. And then when we turn around, they do crazy things. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to the Goldwater Institute. As a matter of fact, I owe them an email because they are going to fight the city of Phoenix on this new prevailing wage rule. This is one of those things that I'm talking about. The city of Phoenix, the city council in Phoenix voted on a prevailing wage rule, meaning any project that the city of Phoenix is paying for to have a building built or something remodeled, projects within the city, they will have to – any of the contractors that work on that job have to agree to pay prevailing wage, which is a much higher amount of money than the going rate for other people. Now, a journeyman electrician is making in the neighborhood right now – of about seventy to seventy-five thousand dollars, I believe is the number, with benefits in Arizona. That is a nice uh, income, but they're saying that union scale this prevailing wage, you should be paying more. And I've said before, it's very easy for a city to say, yes, we are willing to use an, uh, a higher standard of material and a higher standard of pay, and we're going to force the contractors and subcontractors to sign up and do paperwork to. Prove that they're actually paying paying prevailing wage, so it's going to cost more to do the job in both um, accountability and in actual pay. And the city of Phoenix is going to make sure those employees make that money. Well, it's going to take workers away from the non-government projects, number one. But number two, you're paying the bill as a taxpayer. Every one of you out there that's listening that lives or even works in the city of Phoenix, when you pay sales taxes, when you pay whatever you're paying to buy something in Phoenix, that Phoenix captures those dollars. Pretty simple for them to be the heroes and say, you know what? We're going to pay more money. We are going to intentionally pay more money on these construction sites with your dollars. It's ridiculous. And here we are at tax time, people scrambling to pay their taxes, counting or trying to count on refunds. Uh, I just don't understand how it's going to work. I just don't understand it. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about crime. Repeat offenders are wreaking havoc in New York City. The small number of people responsible for the huge amount of crime and what's going on in Chicago. We'll talk about that coming up in just one moment. Hey, thanks so much. Always appreciate you spending some time with us. Happy Monday morning. Uh, Chicago mayor-elect condemns teen takeover chaos but says it's not constructive to demonize youth. We'll get to that in a moment, um, that we shouldn't be demonizing the young people that over a two-day period destroyed private property in Chicago and what the mayor said about it. We'll get to that in a moment, or mayor-elect. This is the interesting story to me. One-third of New York City's shoplifting committed by the same 347 people. Now, this is a city of 8 million people. 8 million. 347 people are responsible for one-third of all the shoplifting in New York City. What does that tell you about the revolving door of the justice system in that city? 
There is a lot I've talked about recently because of the uh, the uh, defund the police movement that says that police officers are the problem and having more police officers causes unsafe streets. And I don't like the policy toward policing. I thought it drove police officers away from the profession or at least away from major cities where this attitude permeated the city councils and the lawmakers. But there's another side to this. We call it the county attorney's office, but others call it a district attorney's office. And when you have an elected official whose job it is to set the policy for prosecution of crimes, there are two two things that factor into that. There's a lot of factors, but two major factors. One of them is staffing. What is their budget and their staffing levels to deal with the crimes that cross their desk? The other is an attitude of what needs to be done in punishment. When you have 347 people in a city of 8 million that have committed one-third of the shopliftings in the city, you've got a serious punishment problem. Because if they've been arrested a number of times, and every one of them have, if they've gone through the justice system and they're back out on the street doing it again, that's not a policing issue. That is a prosecution issue. That is a system that is not gotten fed up with them enough yet to lock them away for a very long time. And when you see these things happen, uh, roughly a third of the city shoplifting crimes were committed by the same 327 people. This uh, accounted for over 6,000 arrests and rearrests. They also claim 18 department stores, seven department chains accounted for 20% of the targeting. Law enforcement have said that the slate of shoplifting rings have wreaked havoc on the city's retail and lax bail laws have made it very difficult to hold them in account. The report states the escalating levels of robberies and violence in the cities have cast a chill over the city's shop owners. I was just in New York recently, last few months, and I love it. I love New York City. Staying in Midtown, if you know the part of the city, um, I was uh, near the water. I was at 34th and 10th, a few blocks from Madison Square Garden. Vibrant, um, great. I felt safe. Uh, Maybe I was um, a little bit naive. I don't know, but I felt safe. The problem is, and where you see a staffing issue where the problem lies, is when you are the victim of a crime that's not considered to be very serious, unless it happens to you. When it happens to you, it's all serious. When someone vandalizes your car, vandalizes your home, uh, breaks into your car and steals things and destroys the locks on your doors where you have to pay or your insurance has to pay to get it fixed. You're inconvenienced. You're without a vehicle. It's a nightmare. That's not considered a very serious crime. Auto burglary is not necessarily the top on a conviction or a prosecution list because they're dealing with very serious crimes that we all would admit are more serious. That doesn't mean that you don't deserve justice. And when you don't get it, then you are furious. And that's a problem. And I think that citizens around this country have got to start looking at these issues. What's happened in Chicago, um, the the mayor-elect, Brandon Johnson, um, talked about the chaotic uh, teen takeover of the loop over the weekend. Now, I'm not familiar with Chicago. I apologize. I don't know where the loop is. Um, two teenage males, 16 and 17, were shot. Um, And so here's a quote from the mayor-elect. You tell me if this is the kind of leadership on crime you want. In no way do I condone the destructive activities we saw in the Loop and Lakefront this weekend. It is unacceptable and has uh, has no place in our city. However, it is not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. 
Um, he said this in a statement. Our city must work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly under adult guidance and supervision to ensure that every part of our city remains welcome for both residents and visitors. Here's what's funny about this. He talks about we need to provide a space for youth to gather safely and responsibly. It's these youth that are taking away the safety. And yet we better not we better not demonize them. We better not condemn or demonize this youth. Yes, we should. We should be demonizing every bit of their action. We should be making them an example to other bratty kids who aren't getting their way. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that can be done for young people to have a better lifestyle. That's all well and good. But here we are. We are saying now not only should we not demonize these young people, we should be giving them more opportunities and more places to play and more things to do. So we're going to reward their bad behavior and hope it stops the bad behavior. Anybody out there that's a parent or ever raised a puppy for that matter think that rewarding bad behavior is a way to stop bad behavior this boggles my mind and this is what gets elected to leadership in cities across this country while citizens sit back and say this is ridiculous coming up in a moment gatos is going to join me we do it every day it's called the bq poll question of the day so please stick around The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Well, that wasn't a very good weekend. (laughs) It didn't end well. First, we get that the uh, Arizona Cardinals best player doesn't want to play for them anymore. Shocker. Buda Baker and the and the and the Suns open up with a total dud. And And arguably their second best player, DeAndre Hopkins, wants out, too. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, that team yesterday looked like they never played with each other before. And I think that might be a big deal going forward. I don't know if these guys have gelled. I know they, you know, they've only played like eight games together or something like that. But, but if, if you I, remember, the, I don't know. You remember the Suns playing the Clippers in the playoffs. It gets really chippy with the Clippers. Their key oh, yeah. to success is to be very chippy and very physical. And they didn't get that back. And, you know, I'm not one to go after just one player. But DeAndre Hopkins looked soft yesterday compared to what he was up against. He didn't. He he's DeAndre Ayton. Ayton. Yeah, what I said. I said Hopkins. I'm sorry. Yeah, Ayton. Ayton. <laughs> Looked, I'm yeah. sorry, I had Hopkins on the brain. Uh, he yeah. looked soft, and he looked a yep. step behind all night yeah. long. He did, he did, and I think you know you could see that Chris Paul wasn't happy with that. But Chris Paul didn't have a good game either. I don't know, man. I mean, I picked the Suns to win in five, so I'm I'm gonna you know I'm obviously gonna wait. But here here's the cue because uh, this is how I, I I like to know what people are thinking. Suns lost opening game first round against the Clippers. What's your pucker factor? You know me, the pucker factor, yeah, right? Yep. So one one out of ten, you know, ten is you're just totally freaking out. All right. What's your pa- pucker factor? Number one or a uh, one. My pucker factor is a one. I'm not worried. B two to five. I'm concerned. C six to eight. Suns may not have what it takes. And D. I'm a nine to ten. Clippers in four. <laughs> I'm, I'm a two to five. I think I'm a. I think I'm. A, I think I'm a two to five. I yeah. think I'm about a three right now. If you yep. were to ask me, I think not I'm about a good a three. start. Absolutely not a no. good start. But it also is no. something that they can fix. This is a good enough team, and I think they've got a good enough head coach that they can get their heads back in this pretty quick. 
Yeah, I expect them to win game two. Now, if they lose game two, they're, they they could be done. Yeah. I, 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 there's something wrong. They haven't figured out how to play with each other. Then we're in big trouble. But, I mean, it's a long series. You, you just get six more games. You got to win four. Right. And they, they, we'll see it. We'll see how it goes. But, yeah, not good yesterday. Not good. Not good at all. Um, I appreciate the question as always, and I'll, I'll talk to you on tax day. I hope the be- the rest of your show is better than the Suns. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> That's Gatos. The BQ poll question today is brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. You can weigh in at KTAR.com and see how others voted as well. Coming up, we are going to talk about veterans' rights as Arizona joins a lawsuit with a bunch of other states to protect veterans' rights. We're going to tell you what this is all about and how it could affect other veterans as well. So stick around for that.